The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Labour has never done well in a UK election without doing really well in Scotland. We need deposit ATMs and we need withdrawal ATMs and we need a law that means that businesses have to accept cash. UK workers have had the most bargaining power essentially since the 1970s because the jobs market is so tight. Can Britain actually afford to maintain a global military presence? Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Lizzie Burden. We're live at Tory Party Conference, Conservative Party Conference here in Manchester. And the big problem is indecision. It's worse than scrapping HS2. The Prime Minister hasn't made a decision about what to do about the uh, leg from Birmingham to Manchester. This major multi-billion pound infrastructure project. There's been a cabinet meeting about it today, but it risks overshadowing the Prime Minister's speech at conference tomorrow. Lizzie is in a very difficult position. We saw him tour the floor of this hall trying to bat away the questions. Yeah, the agenda in terms of policy announcements has been pretty dull. Maybe that's how Rishi Sunak likes it. But into that vacuum is uh, flowing all of this speculation about what happens on HS2, what happens on tax cuts, because there has to be a front page tomorrow. But at the, mo- at the moment, it seems like Rishi Sunak saying no to everything. It's typical of a former Chancellor turned Prime Minister. I think the Financial Times called him the abominable no man because it's very much the Treasury view. And it doesn't seem like we're getting the long term decisions for a brighter future that the banner in front of us promises. Yeah, absolutely. Hanging over this. Uh, Hall in Manchester. Well, with us, of course, uh, to discuss on Bloomberg UK Politics is our political reporter, Ellen Milligan. Great to have you with us. I know you've been touring the halls and listening to the fringe events, but the main story remains a decision on HS2. What do you think might happen? What are the discussions? What are the risks? Well, this is, as you say, the dark cloud that's been hanging over every announcement, every speech um, of this conference so far. And to be to be frank, it's been a comms disaster. I mean, they've tried to keep a lid on it in the last two weeks as information leaked about uh, the government considering scrapping the Manchester to Birmingham leg. They seem to keep a lid on it and then go and then as conference begun. Um, Sky reported that there was a cabinet meeting going to happen during conference. Number 10 slapped that down. Now Bloomberg are told that there is a cabinet meeting planned for today and that um, Rishi Sunak might confirm his speech tomorrow to conference. Um, Part, part, as you say, of this uh, hard decisions for the long-term game is going to be this HS2 decision. Um, And and it's just a bit messy, really, and it, it... creates the sense that they're not in total control of things due to leaks, due to whatever um, and and that creates a, creates a tricky environment for Rishi Sunak to to it, it kind of kind of entrench his decision to conference without this, this hanging over him. Do you think it's fair to say that it's symptomatic of Sunak's lack of political nous the way all of this has happened that perhaps you could say we saw with his handling of the non-DOMS debacle? Well I think 
I think essentially these early discussions were happening in government. We want to scrap this Birmingham to Manchester leg, but what are we going to replace it with? And they hadn't made a decision on that. So in, in the last few weeks, you've seen them um, not commit, not deny this story, and they've been scrambling to come up with what they'll replace it with. Now, what, what has been re reported in the Times and others is that the savings from this HS2 northern leg is going to go into a new high-speed rail, perhaps between Manchester and Leeds, into more northern infrastructure, but that potentially won't happen until the 2030s, which means you get short-term gains and you can push it for another government to make those decisions. So, yeah. In terms of the mood then and how that leaves confidence, I mean, there, there are various views. Um, the polling is pretty dismal, but actually the feedback that we're getting obviously is, is that there's a lot more optimism at this conference than perhaps you might expect. But on HS2, it does seem to have really divided Conservatives, just as divided as they seemed yesterday when you had the rival speeches of the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt and the former Prime Minister Liz Truss on the issue of taxation. I mean, how, how big a problem is that for mm. Rishi Sunak? What is your reading of the conference in terms of support for Rishi Sunak, how competent people uh, think that he is right now? You know, he's not somebody who's been forged through general election victory. That was seen as perhaps a downside of his leadership. I think number 10 genuinely felt reinvigorated coming into this conference. They had that um, economic data showing that they were ahead of um, France and Germany on growth. They had the opinion opinion poll which put them at a 15% deficit which is obviously much better than 20% or so that they've been facing in other polls um, but I think Andy Street on the kind of streets of Manchester yesterday not not denying that he might resign this this of course is the Birmingham Conservative Mayor um, not denying that he would potentially resign if Rishi Sunak does come out with an announcement about HS2 has got a lot of people chatting I mean I was in the Midland last night with with Tell us the gossip, Helen, because we had to be in bed. Well, well, there's a lot of confusion among kind of Tory aides and Tory MPs. One suggested to me, why on earth would you call a cabinet meeting and then announce this in your speech? Why not let let people talk about tax cuts? Let's be let people talk about other things and then announce it during Labour Party conference next week and derail, so to speak, their their conference with this big decision. Why would you, um, you know, risk? Um, Conservative mayor resigning in the middle of your in the middle of your conference. Um, what number ten would say was this: <laughs> this isn't their plan. This is all because of leaks, um, and and it's put them on the back foot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and in some of the interviews that we've done, I think quite interesting um, that there is a real concern about reaching out on some other core issues, things like housing. We spoke to the housing minister Rachel McLean earlier. We also spoke to um, the head of Onward right-leaning think tank but very forward-thinking very green very youth orientated mm -hmm. and that there are still big kind of policy issues bit of amnesia about anything in the past that the conservative party sort of wants to move on but looking towards the future how difficult of a sell is policy at the moment 
The speeches so far have been quite policy light. I mean, I was in the hall yesterday for Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, and then Kemi Badenoch, the Business Secretary, and then Mel Stride, the Work and Pension Secretary. I mean, Jeremy Hunt's big announcement was a civil service freeze, which was, I, I think, safe to say, an uninspiring policy, although it may well save a lot of money. Um, Kemi Badenoch had no policy. It was all rhetoric around net zero and gender and um, Brexit. And then Mel Stride made an announcement about... It, clamping down on dads not paying child maintenance and, and job centres kind of being more aggressive. Um, it's the, Rishi Sunak is expected to make some more announcements about um, banning um, the smoking for under 18s, um, again this HS2 announcement, but you're right, it's not necessary, we've not really heard anything on house building or, or consumers, that's a big one that, you know, the cabinet behind the scenes are talking about, what are we doing more for consumers? Um, and it seems to be more about kind of um, people lightly putting out their leadership pictures there and, and the ones who aren't policy light definitely oh, policy light we can we've got a lot to hope for from the prime minister when he makes his speech tomorrow Alan Milligan our UK government reporter thanks for rounding up everything that's been going on in party conference while we were asleep in the when you were at the Midland Hotel last night Absolutely. Uh, missing out on a few of the drinks parties to get the real gossip. Well, speaking of policy, though, speaking to the housing minister this morning on Bloomberg TV and radio, Rachel McLean, she wouldn't be pinned down, actually, around tenants' rights. The reform bill that's meant to be coming in, we put those questions to her, and also around the issue of house building, because one thing that Liz Truss uh, got quite a, a good reception for was this huge target of half a million homes to be built. Have a listen to Rachel McLean talking to us about home building tenants rights but of course starting on the big question around HS2. Well I don't think you should really frame this as backing out of levelling up. It's not to be clear. This is one project that was started a long time ago under a different government. Uh, since that time we have ambitious levelling up projects all over the entire country. We've delivered free ports, We've delivered investment zones in my own, own portfolio. We've delivered levelling at partnerships. Towns Fund just this week announced a billion pounds going to a number of different towns across the country to regenerate their high streets and their town centres. And look, I think the Prime Minister is right, to be honest, with the British public about the cost of HS2. It has spiralled. Um, you know, when I talk to my constituents in Redditch, what they want is decent bus services. They want trains to Birmingham. They want to be able to get around the region. So we obviously have to look at this through the lens of a tight public spending settlement. Liz Truss advocating for half a million homes to be built in Britain. OK, admittedly, she's not in government, but the Liberal Democrats want 400,000 new homes to be built. There are big ambitions. What do the Conservatives want to do? Yes, I mean, look, where I completely agree with Liz is we just need to build more bloody houses, as I think the young Liberals have said. So as Housing Minister, that's my job. I'm getting on with doing that. We've actually had a pretty good record of house building over the last five years under this Conservative government. There are some things we are getting right uh, on this agenda, but there's obviously a lot more to do, and that's what we're focused on. We're in the middle of taking some long-term decisions about housing in places like London, uh, Cambridge and Leeds, talking about how we're actually going to, over the long term, grow those places to make sure we've got enough housing for people. OK. Is there a bit of amnesia at this conference? The Conservatives scrapped a target of 300,000 homes no. to be built a year no. because it was unachievable? No, we didn't. No? no? We've never scrapped the housing targets. We still have housing targets of 300,000 homes a year. And if you look at our delivery, we've actually got the highest house building on record uh, in the last five 
five years uh, compared to the last 30 years of housing delivery. As I said, there's more to do, but it's completely wrong to say we've scrapped housing targets. We still have those targets and we're getting on and building those homes. The crisis in the rental market spiralling costs. You've got three times the pace of inflation in terms of rental increases in Britain. Again, how does the Conservative government address this pressing issue? The way we address this crisis is by building more houses of every type. We have a mismatch of supply and demand. We've got very high levels of immigration, both legal and illegal, to this country. We've got demand spiralling for housing. I mean, when you talk about immigration, housing doesn't discriminate between someone who comes here illegally or if they come here legally, for example, because they still need a roof over their head. So all of that is putting pressure on the houses that we need to, make, to give homes to people. Uh, our own people who've, who've lived here all their lives and, of course, other people as well and new households that are forming. So we have high demand. So the way that we deal with that is we build more houses and across okay. the piece we then have more houses for people to rent, more houses that are affordable and we're investing in Minister. social housing at the same time. That was Rachel McLean, the housing minister, speaking to me uh, about building more homes and trying to uh, deal with but not pledging uh, to bring forward the tenant reform bill particularly quickly. Of course, housing is central to especially younger voters uh, and that is something that the right-leaning think tank Onward focuses on. Adam Hawksby, Deputy Director, spoke to me on this issue and a number of others a little earlier. Have a listen. It's been a really mixed conference. I mean, one of the really ironic things is that the big announcement on Sunday was this long-term plan for towns. That's exactly the sort of thing that Onward's been pushing. It's informed on a lot of our research. And it sort of disappeared. We didn't really hear much about it. It wasn't covered because of this debate that was rumbling on about HS2. And as you say, the HS2 issue is really personal to me. My former boss at Onward was Will Tanner. My boss before that was Andy Street. I used mm. to be his head of policy up in the West Midlands. I've been in rooms with Andy where he has pitched the importance of HS2 to businesses and to investors. I know how important it is. And so some of the reports have been uh, really worrying. I'm really clear. Our research is really clear that there's no way to level up the country without improved connectivity in the Midlands and the North. And so I'll be listening really carefully to what will probably be in the Prime Minister's speech tomorrow about how he plans to meet those goals about connectivity if indeed he does proceed with cancelling that leg of HS2. Yeah, so it is absolutely an internal row within the Conservative Party. Um, Andy Street, as, as you say, West Midlands Mayor, saying that you will turn your back on an opportunity to level up a once-in-a-generation opportunity if HS2 is scrapped. Is there really anything that the Prime Minister can offer in terms of connectivity? Lots of talk about maybe money to upgrade lines east to west. Is there anything that can actually replace what would have been Europe's biggest infrastructure project? There's certainly a huge amount that you can and should do to improve east-west connectivity. I mean, the, the links between Manchester, Liverpool and Leeds are appalling and the project for Northern, the plans for Northern Powerhouse Rail are, are good ones. The problem is they rest on HS2. And that isn't, you know, my argument. That was Boris Johnson's argument when he responded to the Oakery review in 2020. So, yes, they're going to be talking about, I imagine, improved east-west connectivity. The key thing is how you make sure that you just don't have an isolated set of connected cities in the north away from that new high-speed link between London and Birmingham. So the handling of all of this in terms of communications has been a disaster. Um, it's clearly been really tricky. I mean, again, yesterday at about 2.45, we had a panel where I had Andy Street on my right and I had Bev Craig, the leader of Manchester Council, a Labour politician, on my left. And, you know, from 
Bev Craig's perspective, Andy Burnham, the mayor of Greater Manchester, their argument is they've, they've not been consulted on this, they've not been able to have a conversation. And you know, one of the issues I'm really passionate about and would have done a lot of research on is, is devolution, giving more power to our leaders in cities, in towns across the country. And this, this doesn't feel like uh, the sort of bottom-up governance, the sort of localism um, that I think the Conservative Party should be moving towards. Do you think the UK should uh, try to enact tax cuts ahead of the next general election? I mean, Liz Truss got a huge amount of attention yesterday by calling for a fabulous housing target of half a million homes um, a year, but also of cutting corporation tax down to 19%. Is that a fringe event as far as you see it, or should, should the Conservatives be enacting that? The most overtaxed and unfairly taxed group in our society are young people, right? The, the, a graduate on an average salary has a marginal tax rate of about 55%. We've got this insane tax system where because of how people pay back student loans uh, and because of how some things like childcare kick in at certain thresholds, uh, young people, young families face a, a, an outrageous tax threshold. So yes, I think we need to lower the tax burden, we need to do that sensibly, but I would focus that on young people, not on corporations. We're joined now by Anthony Brown, MP, Conservative MP for South Cambridgeshire and Chair of the Backbench Treasury Committee. Great to have you on. Great to be here. This time last year, we were at Conservative Party Conference. You were working for Liz Truss. Do you regret dipping a toe in that pool now? No, it was fun. She, uh, the Prime Minister asked me to serve and I served for about 40 days or less. With quite disastrous consequences for the markets, of course, uh, a year on, how does uh, conference feel to you now under Rishi Sunak? Is it a more competent government? Before joining Liz Truss, you were talking about a competent government. Is this a more competent government? Yeah, I think um, there's a completely different mood from the Liz Truss era. And obviously we can talk about Liz Truss, the Liz Truss era. But actually, uh, I think the one thing that uh, Rishi and Jeremy Hunt as as Treasurer, uh, Chancellor, have done is really restore a lot of confidence uh, in terms of economic policy for the government. And Rishi was clearly Chancellor beforehand. He's a very capable, competent guy. I was a a Rishi supporter for a, a through both leadership elections, the one he lost and then the one uh, that he won, partly because I know that he is, he's very bright, very capable of getting things done, very pragmatic, and that's the sort of leadership that I think we need. So uh, certainly, you know, you're in, you're in touch and report on the markets closely. There is a lot more confidence that the government actually knows uh, it, uh, have, are capable of delivering the economic policy that we need. Unfortunately, though, we kind of have to talk about Liz Truss because she made a speech here at party conference yesterday. She drew a massive crowd. The queue was round the corner. Would it be better for everyone if she just kept quiet? Well, not normally past prime ministers do keep quiet and try and support the uh, the government of the day. I mean, you'd have to ask Liz why she's doing what she's doing. I don't know, and I didn't and I didn't speak. I didn't attend her her, her uh, event, but. Uh, te- uh, uh, Edward Heath was famously uh, quite uh, sort of grumpy on the back benches and uh, went down as described as the longest sulk in history because he kept criticising Margaret Thatcher after he was uh, uh, beaten by her. But certainly, you know, former prime ministers, a dignified thing to do, like, like uh, Theresa May is to, uh, be, and, and David Cameron, and indeed, uh, you know, Tony Blair is to, uh, when he was former prime minister, Gordon Brown, is to, you know, be supportive and constructive from the back benches. Okay, so don't sulk. Uh, in that case, Liz Truss's uh, proposal to make Britain grow again, uh, to cut corporation tax to 19%, to build half a million homes. I mean, that is very ambitious policy. How much do you think? How much influence does that have actually on the Conservative well, Parliamentary Party? A lot of people attended. 
So I absolutely welcome a contribution to the debate about growth. We absolutely need to promote economic growth in the UK and indeed in the West generally. Uh, I would point out that our economy has been growing faster than Germany, France, Italy and Spain since 2019, since 2016 and since 2010. But we, we clearly need to get it going again. She, ha she has some ideas. I mean, the the uh, debate on um, corporation tax, clearly uh, Rishi Sunak did increase corporation tax. Uh, and uh, the, But the argument there was actually... He, increased the head rate, headline rate of corporation tax, but he massively uh, made massive cuts to the allowances that companies are allowed to make. There's so-called full expensing, which your listeners will know all about, that companies can discount all their investments in uh, costs against that year's profits. And that encourages companies to invest a lot more in productive uh, assets. And the, and the Treasury view uh, is that that is actually a more effective way to tax corporations, uh, even though the headline rate is higher, give them discounts on when they're making uh, uh, investment decisions. And that's... Um, uh, and we can have that. We can have that debate. Well, the, the the problem that the, the government has generally on taxation is that obviously tax is incredibly high, the highest rate for uh, 70 years. That's frustrating for for the entire country. It's certainly frustrating for Conservative MPs who stood for election promising uh, lower taxes. Uh, but we have had, um, first of all, the global financial crisis, which took a lot of productive capacity out of the economy. We had then obviously the pandemic, spent 400 billion pounds uh, on that. We've had the cost of living crisis. There's about 90 billion pounds of support there. The government spent. A lot of money we just don't have the headroom to cut taxes at the moment without it having an impact on inflation and the the, the priority for the government is to get inflation right down and uh, I totally support them doing that before tax cuts but I would like to see tax cuts after that. So what would be the yardstick for when it's affordable in your eyes would you be looking at a particular level of inflation where the interest rate gets to would it be a certain number for headroom in the, 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 we, because surely this is what you would like. Every Conservative wants tax cuts. When should we? When would you like to see them? So uh, obviously sooner rather than later, and just from a political point of view, before uh, the election would be nice. Uh, the um, uh, so inflation is still uh, higher, frustratingly high, six point seven percent. It is coming down. It's clearly come down about forty percent. But it, we need the target is two percent. We need to get a lot closer to that. Uh, you have to have a lot of confidence that, that any tax cuts that are made aren't inflationary. So some tax cuts are more inflationary than others. Uh, um, and like so, for example, if you cut VAT as an obvious example, I'm not advocating that as a policy, but clearly that's not inflationary because you're cutting the head, headline rate of uh, VAT. Uh, but uh, you, the government has to do it on the basis of what Liz Trust didn't do: OBR predictions about the fiscal situation over the next uh, three years, and make sure that we fit within the fiscal rules and not end up. One, one of the big problems for uh, with Liz Truss's budget was actually they didn't do the OBR report. You had no idea the, the sense of direction of where we're going from a fiscal point of view just wasn't okay, there. Okay, so then right, you, obviously the tax cuts have got to come before the next general election. Um, but well, it's, is not, that, it's uh, not obvious, but it, yes. It, that's, is it, uh, well, obviously if you know, when you look at the polling like if you look yeah, at yeah. the polling of Conservatives against Labour, it would surely be a main policy. Um, but in terms of time frame, I suppose, how quickly would you want that uh, to happen um, and the other major issue, issue also in terms of long-term thinking from the government is on HS2 this whole morning we've watched the Prime Minister uh, crisscross this room the main hall uh, at party him. conference no, you missed it perhaps was, we, we saw the whole entourage going all around the room having to bat away questions about HS2 complete uncertainty around what is Europe's biggest infrastructure project and we still have no answer surely that sort of indecision is hugely destructive for the Conservatives. So I think, so for, 
I, I haven't publicly said anything about HS2, and it doesn't directly affect my uh, constituents, and they're very, I have very little direct concern about it as a constituency MP. But it's, it's at, if you've got a massive infrastructure project like that, uh, largest in Europe, if, if costs go up, it's absolutely right that the government uh, looks at uh, cost control on it, looks at what the options are, reviews it. So big infrastructure projects like that, you do continuous reviews and continuous lookbacks, uh, and I don't know what the decision uh, of the government is. It, uh, they say no decision's been made, uh, I'm sure that's true, uh, but it's absolutely right that they look at projects like this and see what the options are, rather than just signing a completely blank cheque saying they'll pay for all the building and won't even review the project uh, at any point during the construction. And that's of course the Treasury argument, but you've got a background in business at the British Bankers Association, you've been on the Treasury. There's also the argument of foreign investors, how could they trust a Conservative promise if a plan that has been in the works for so well, many years is let, abandoned? Let, let's wait and see what the uh, decision is, because I don't know, I, 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 so supposedly no decision to be made, and if it has been made, I certainly don't know what the, uh, and you don't know what the answer is. There is there's lots of briefing going on, both you know, one, one way and another, uh, but I, to your general point, absolutely, uh, international investors need confidence. I think it's really important for a country like the UK to be, uh, to have a really good story to tell on things like infrastructure uh, investment, uh, and whatever the decision is, we need to make sure there's a very sort of positive uh, narrative there, and we have certainty for investors. Okay, the problem problem though with that argument is that I was speaking to the former um, chairman of HS2 uh, in the 2020s and he's saying there were cost controls every step of the way um, and the mayor of Greater Manchester who was sitting in the chair that you're sitting in now yesterday was saying again the Conservatives cannot avoid taking responsibility for the cost overrun. The building works went through the Chiltern Hills and that basically stuck the price up of, of delivering this I mean, that's a very difficult message to get across that, that this was competently handled. Well, we've, we've already spent I, 20 I billion think, on it. I don't think anyone's trying to blame anyone else. It's the, I mean, clearly, HS2 was conceived and has happened under a Conservative government. Uh, the, but it's far from the only infrastructure project that's uh, overrun, not just in the UK, but internationally. And I, I was actually listening to, as uh, a professor of major infrastructure projects interview the other, <laughs> the other day, and uh, he'd studied major infrastructure projects around the, around the planet. And basically, you know, pretty much all of them overrun in terms of budget and timeline. There's lots of lessons to be learned. One of the key lessons, and this is true for all infrastructure projects, is sort out all your planning uh, before you start construction, because actually it's the construction costs that overrun if you start trying to do the planning during the construction uh, process. But I, I, it, it, it is clearly, uh, uh, you know, the government didn't want costs overruns. It has been reviewing costs. Uh, you know, are there lessons to be learned? I'm sure there are, but it is far from the only infrastructure project. In fact, it is normal for almost all infrastructure, major infrastructure projects to overrun. Thank you so much, Anthony Brown MP, for joining us. And on that question of HS2, I also spoke to Greg Clark, the former Secretary of State for Leveling Up and the former Business Secretary, asking him what the government is doing by scrapping such a significant project, if indeed it does that. It's a very, it's a very unfortunate situation, but I do think in terms of long-term decision-making, this is a, a, a project that has now survived, I think it's five prime ministers, uh, starting with Gordon Brown through David Cameron, Theresa May, Boris Johnson, uh, and even Liz Truss. Um, uh, it's been over 15 years in the making. And so I think mm. you've got to proceed very carefully before yeah. you suddenly uh, cancel something that is one of probably the best example of a long-term investment. 
Yeah, but then surely one can only sympathise with the Labour Manchester um, Mayor, uh, Andy Burnham, saying that the cost overrun is the responsibility of the Conservative government. HS2 was first proposed in 2009. It was meant to have been delivered by now. It's clear that, uh, as you say, it started and it was uh, set up under a Labour government. It's continued under successive Conservative governments. I think everyone can see... uh, uh, that it, uh, the cost overruns are unconscionable. I don't understand why it is that it costs so much money to build a railway line in this country compared to uh, others. And you know, mm. uh, Andy Burnham and others are right, uh, and indeed Richie Sudak is right to uh, to balk at that. But that's what I think needs to happen now. I mean, the uh, the the line is uh, is being built. It, it certainly will be built to. Birmingham, uh, for, and that is, uh, if not most of the cost, it's a big chunk of the uh, costs. It, the question now, and I think rather than rush to transfer, I think what needs to happen is that needs to be a serious-minded consideration of what can be done to bring the costs down to an acceptable level, and for that to be done quickly but clearly uh, in public for a decision to be taken on that basis um, and I think having got this far and with the, you know, the huge consequences mm. uh, of this project in terms of bringing the, uh, the, the economies of, of London, the West Midlands and the, the North together mm. if you're going to cancel it it has to be done in my view after very clear and transparent consideration uh, having looked particularly at trying to get but, trying to bring in the private sector to reduce those costs. But, but Greg, as a um, long-standing Conservative and a well-respected uh, minister when it has come to industrial strategy, uh, and as I say, former levelling up um, uh, secretary yourself, the handling of this announcement has been surely disastrous, or even worse then than the rushed net zero press conference that the Prime Minister had to give, again in similar circumstances when the Prime Minister was under pressure to give a response. I mean, you're talking about careful, thought out, you know, um, stakeholder management. That's not what we're seeing at the moment. I mean, there is anticipation that the HS2 um, rail line is going to be scrapped sort of imminently, perhaps even in an announcement from the Prime Minister tomorrow. That's the speculation. I agree. Whenever you're taking long-term decisions, you should do it in a steady way, um, setting out the facts, making sure that you have... brought together all of the key uh, people that are going to be affected by that so that you if, if there's a compelling case to be made you need to take people with you and that's why i think that you know, even now and it hasn't uh, it's been far from uh, ideal not least having conference in manchester with all this going on but even mm. now i don't think you know, you, there's a there's a tendency well you know just kind of rip the plaster off and, uh, and get on with it. But even now, I think you can recover the position by saying, look, you know, publish the, the new cost estimates, say if it seems to be the case these are unacceptable, and then take time to say, well, is there anything that can bring them down? If the, if the end of that, um, and you do it publicly and transparently, the answer is no, um, yeah. then 
it may be necessary to, to make these changes, but we're not there yet, and I agree with you. I think when you want to give confidence to investors here and around the world about long-term decisions, in this case, a 15-year project, this is not the way to do it. Okay. Um, then in that case, I, I respond like this. The, the mood at conference seems, frankly, pretty resigned, given the poll lead that, that the Labour Party has. I mean, is there really appetite to, to fight, to make that case, you know, from the Conservatives? Do you detect any appetite as we are perhaps a year away from the next general election? Well, funny enough, uh, Caroline, I think the, the mood coming into conference was, uh, was much more buoyant than uh, people had expected. I mean, uh, admittedly, people's last memory of party conference was a year ago, in which, uh, which time the, the trust government was, uh, was visibly collapsing at that conference. Um, uh, sorry, uh, the, the contrast uh, might have been flattering. But nevertheless, I think people... Political parties are campaigning organisations, and actually the kind of the whiff of the general election in prospect actually, I think, could energise people. There was a sense that um, Rishi uh, was making a, a good impression. I think, actually, although the, the, the timing and the handling of the net zero announcements were, uh, were not ideal, when people looked at the content... Uh, I think people had respect for it, and uh, and that actually I think um, boosted his position. Um, and th- there was a there's been a lot of by-elections uh, lately, uh, as you know. There is at the moment. Yeah. So it's been a packed day here at Tory conference. Pretty busy in the conference hall today. Maybe it won't be as much so tomorrow, given the rail strikes mean people are probably heading back to wherever they came from. But we'll be with you to cover the Rishi Sunak speech, the final event of this conference tomorrow. That's it from us for today. If you like the programme, don't forget to subscribe and give it five stars so other people can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. This episode was produced by James Warcock and our audio engineers were Marufal Hussain and John Wasserman. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Lizzie Bird and we'll be back with more tomorrow from Conservative Party Conference in Manchester. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg UK Politics. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash Radio.